Praise the Lord, this is Brother Julius and we are going through the book of Mark in this teaching and I am now at Mark chapter 9 and I believe that the Lord will give understanding and insight in what we are discussing. We are just reading it and then stopping and give some comments in the teaching format. Okay, Mark chapter 9. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said unto them, this is the Lord Jesus Christ talking, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now many people wonder that. What does that really mean? They will not see death until they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now, the first glance at this, people assume he's talking about the kingdom of God, the second coming of Christ, which will like be 2,000 years after he was talking about. That was not what he meant. And you see it in the next verse, what happened when he took them to the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Jesus Christ transfigured before them. That is the kingdom of God. That is the king coming. He says, coming with power. Now, this is how it was described here because they say, and after six days, verse, verse 2, and after six days, Jesus taken with him Peter and James and John and led them up into an high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them. Now you can see that many times when the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching, he was using so many parables that sometimes it, it will come down found the people that were there, they will be imagining things this way when he actually meant this way. An example of that was when he was in the temple and they said, what sign will you give? He said, destroy this temple. Assuming he just pointed his finger up and said, this temple is talking about himself. But they thought he was talking of the building, the temple where he was talking. Destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. And he said, what? It took 46 years to build this temple. You are going to raise it up in three days? And Apostle John explained to us that because Apostle John was, try, was writing his own gospel many years after it has happened, after Christ has been and gone up. He said he meant the temple of his body. But when he was saying it, he was more like putting a, a what you call a, a parable before them, or something that is couched in secret. He's telling them mysteries in secret. So that it takes decipher by the Holy Ghost to tell them what really he meant. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they thought he was talking of the building, temple of uh, of Herod. But his finger pointing out will make them think though, but maybe he's saying he himself is the temple. Or even if he said destroy this temple, they will still be thinking he's talking about this because they are not looking at his finger. <laughs> but the Lord is uh, using some wisdom in, in making many of these parables. And sometimes he's to speak in parable, and I didn't know much about how to speak in parables. I was teaching people in the streets. So he said, speaking parables. But uh, the only Lord can, only the, the King of Kings himself can give such parables. That's why he said, I will open my mouth in wisdom and tell secrets that be hidden from the foundation of the world. 
Now, okay, let's continue with Mark, Mark chapter 9. He said, And after six days, Jesus take it with him, Peter and James and John, and leaded them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. So we are pointing out that this transfiguration was what he meant when he said, There are some that are here that shall not taste see death, they shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And please, that's what most of the Bible scholars meant, said they meant. But study. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. So as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. What do you think they were trying to, what was coming to the mind of, uh, Moses, uh, of Peter? It was one I say, wow, now we know you are just, you see, they are trying to equivalent Jesus to Moses and Elias, because you know, Moses is the law, Elias is the prophet, and they said, wait, Jesus, wait, you are actually, we are see three of you right now, and what up? That's why he's saying, trying to tell them to keep quiet. This is not Moses or Elias. This is the God that created Moses and Elias. And look at what happened here. Verse 6 says, For he wished not what to say, for they were so afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And from there you can see he's saying, don't compare him to Moses or Elias. This is my beloved son. The son of God himself. From heaven. Moses and Elijah were woman means like me and you, anointed with the Holy Spirit. And who sent them? Jesus sent them. Then God himself, Jesus Christ, came down in form of a human being and called himself son of God. So you can't equate him to the people, the servants he has sent all along. That's what this, this inside, this... Um, this proclamation from heaven meant when this when this, when the, when Peter said, Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elias. And the voice said, This is my beloved son, hear him. Hear him. Hear the Lord Jesus Christ. Not Moses, not Elias, but Jesus. Verse 8. And suddenly the uh, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. Verse 9. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Now you see, they were not really sure of what Christ meant when he said the Son of Man will rise from the dead. In fact, they were not sure that the Messiah will even die. You see. Oh, it's what they were not, they didn't know the scriptures. In fact, nobody knew the scriptures except the Lord Jesus Christ finally began to reveal it after his resurrection. He began to reveal it to the disciples. So no, none of the Pharisees or Jews could have understood it either anyway from the what the prophets wrote or from what Moses wrote. Only the, only the Lord Jesus Christ started revealing it. After he waited till after resurrection before he started revealing it to the disciples so that they could now understood what has transpired. Because he wanted that crucifixion to take place so that they Sacrifice could be done because without that sacrifice, we cannot be saved. After the sacrifice is done for mankind, 
Then he started revealing to, to his disciples what all this thing meant. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for that wisdom. So he said they kept those things to themselves, questioning what this what it means to realize what he said. What he said, he charged them that they should tell no man what they have seen. Why was the Lord saying they should tell no man? Just imagine if Peter and James and John have gone to those high priests and shepherds and say, We saw Moses and Elias on the mountain, and the Lord Jesus Christ transfigured, and they were talking together. He's greater than Moses and Elias. Maybe that could convince the chief priests and the high priests to say, You really showed it? Yeah, three of us saw it. That could make them change their mind about this crucifixion also. But Christ wanted the crucifixion to be take to take place so that the blood can be spilled for mankind. That is the blood, the blood of the Lamb of God that was to sacrifice, that was to be sacrificed for human race. It has to be done. If that is not done, we cannot be saved. So that was one of the reasons why he kept all the Jews blinded. The Jew rulers of the Jews blinded so that they can crucify the Messiah. And I'm pointing that one out because that's exactly what. We come to realize after the Holy Ghost is revealing to the to the church. Verse eleven. I'm reading Mark chapter nine. I'm now in verse eleven, and they ask him, saying, "Why say the scribes that Elias must first come?" You see what they were. The Peter, James, and John were now trying to straighten their mind of saying, "But Elias is right there on the mountain with you. Moses was there on the mountain with you. They were still away. They are not here yet. Why are the scribes saying?" Elias should come first when the Messiah is already here. And Jesus Christ was going to tell them explanation of the prophets. And he answered and told them, verse 12, Elias verily cometh first and restored all things. Now, that is twofold. Christ is going to tell them twofold here, twofold meaning of this right now. He said, Elias verily cometh first and restored all things. That's his future, also. Cometh first. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. Verse 13 now says, But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed as it is written of him. So two things were done, were said here by, by the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 12 and verse 13, two different things. But he's talking about the explanation, the meaning of, and I will send to you Elias the prophet that the Pharisees and the scribes have been talking about which you see in the book of Malachi. Let's read the book of Malachi. Because that was where the scribes were getting their teaching from, from the prophets, Old Testament prophets. Look at this in Malachi, the book of Malachi, prophecy of Malachi chapter 4. From verse 4, God talking through Malachi, telling to the, to the Israelites, Remember ye the Lord of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Oreb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgment. Verse 5 is what I'm going. Behold, this is God talking through Malachi. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What will he do? He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. Let's come and smile the heart with the cost. Now that is the prophecy describes all through till the time of the Lord Jesus Christ were preaching and saying, before the Messiah can come, Elias has, Elias has to come first. But when you look at that prophecy, he's talking about before the great terrible day of the Lord come. Also, a dreadful day of the Lord. 
which looked like that will be there at the end of the world, dreadful day of the Lord, because they knew about that. But they said they're going to send the liars first to turn the heart of the children to the fathers, almost like restore things. Also. So now the Lord Jesus Christ, and then when Jesus Christ came as a born babe and grew up as a year old and was preaching as the Messiah, and he transfigured before them, and, they, and Peter, James, and John saw Elias on the mountain, which means he has not come. He's still up there in, in heaven. And Moses also was shown in that, that mountain. Then they wondered that. And you are here, you may say, say why did the scribe say the Elias must first come? When you are already here. Now the Lord gave them two, two meaning of that prophecy. Verse 12, Mark chapter 9, verse 12 and verse 13. Verse 12 says, Elias verily cometh first, which means the end of the world thing, Elias will come first. But it was not explained to them that he was coming twice. That he's coming the second time. He didn't explain to them here because they didn't understand everything yet. They just thought the besides here, how come Elias has not come? Okay. So he was telling them, Elias verily cometh first, but he didn't tell them that he is going to go and come up first until later, until after he resurrected. No, sir. It was after the Christ resurrected. This is before even the resurrection. So he was more or less telling them what they need to know now, as far as they were concerned. But after the resurrection, and when he was going up to heaven, two angels said, This same Jesus will come back in the same way. Also. Now, before that takes place, Elias will come. See? That is the, the, the explanation where he said, Elias verily cometh first and resurrected all things. That's a, that's a future thing. And then he said, how oh, it is written in the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. So he's talking about himself that he will be set at naught for that generation. But he said, Elias should surely verily commit first and restoreth all things. Now verse 13 is what he is now giving them a clue about the meaning of that prophecy. It's twofold. The prophecy of Malachi, twofold. He said, I will send to Elias the prophet. Also, but he said before the great dreadful day of the Lord, which means that was seems to be talking about the end time at the end of the world, there will be a liar to come to them, to the Jews. But Christ said, But Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed as it is written of him. And the, in the other gospel said he meant John the Baptist was Elias to them. Because John the Baptist came before Christ and restore trying to bring the baptism make them to repent the messiah is coming that is restoring the, the faith of the fathers to the children that was his kind of restoration that he did for them that's john the baptist he came in the anointing of elias so god meant he can send another the same anointing remember elijah elijah the prophet when he was going away elisha that was following him was asking for double portion of your anointing of your spirit so God can send the same portion of the spirit of our of portion of anointing upon Elijah to any other person. And they will be able to do exactly what Elijah did with the opportunity cost for it. But they will have the same boldness, the same confrontation with the, with the governments and not be afraid. That is what the anointing does. It gives them this the, the fearlessness. Miracles can happen. We according to the Bible, we didn't see John the Baptist didn't do any miracle. But he has the fearlessness of Elijah. So that is what the anointing does. But God still promised oh, he was go he's going to send that same old prophet Elijah that was taken out of this planet without seeing death. God said he will send him back. So that is the one they were referring to as, well, if that is 
to be done. Why are we seeing him in the sky and you are here? You see? So the Christ is saying, he will come first to result. That's when the Christ, before the Christ comes the second time. And you will see that in the book of Revelation chapter 11, where he said, I will send my two witnesses that will prophesy for 1,200 days. And we believe that that was talking about Moses and Elias. In that book of Revelation chapter 11, where God was, where the Lord was saying, He will send His two witnesses to the Jews to bear witness that Jesus Christ, whom they crucified, whom their fathers crucified, is the Messiah. Moses and Elias. That's why they were on the mountain of transfiguration with Him there, almost like receiving their, their next assignment. So you see that He said in verse chapter, book of Revelation chapter 11, but still he said, but for, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. So we believe those two witnesses are true prophets. And the Bible said, these are the prophets that are standing before the God of the old earth. And you see that in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah prophesied that the two candlesticks that are drawing, that are, that are, that are giving light, drawing their oil from the, from the, from the, let's see how it was reported. So these are the two olive olive branches. Revelation chapter 11, let's read chapter 11 completely. Here he said about these two prophets, verse 4 said, and these, not, verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So that was what was said in Mark in Revelation chapter 11 verse 1, symbolizing the two prophets, the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Well, who is the God of the earth? The Lord Jesus Christ is the God of the whole earth. And the, uh, the two Moses and Elijah that stood before him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And you also see that he was also talking about what Zechariah was talking about when Zechariah said, oh, what are these two olive trees? And he and in the book of Zechariah, he prophesied that those are the two anointed ones that are standing before the God of the old earth. Let's see where that was reported by Zechariah. Let's see, that should be in Zechariah chapter. I cannot look it right now, find out later and put that. But that is talking, that's in the book of Zechariah, one of the chapters of Zechariah. Zechariah, Prophet Zechariah. Okay, now we see that in the book of Mark, chapter 9, that we were reading, the Lord told them those two things. One, that Elias will surely come, we, we verily come first, that is first before the second coming of Christ. That will be the old Elias that was reported in Mark in Revelation chapter 11. Now he also said that I said to you, Elias is indeed come. That he was talking about John the Baptist came in the anointing of Elias, which he was reported in another one of the other prophets, one of the other gospelers said he meant John the Baptist. Verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? 
And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he cheareth him, and he, fo he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. So that was what was going on while Jesus Christ was away on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And the disciples couldn't cast this, the nine disciples that were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were waiting while this man brought his son to be delivered. And his Christ were there chiding with them that you guys couldn't do anything and so on. And then when Christ came and met them in that situation, the man came and told the Lord Jesus Christ that, I brought my disciple, my, my son to your disciples that you cast this they were and they could not. See, they could not. Verse 19 said, and Jesus Christ answered and said unto them, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. The Lord said, faithless generation. So it is faith that is causing the problem. Lack of faith is what we say. Lack of faith for the brethren, the, the disciples have lack of faith. Even that man himself is part of a lack of faith. Because you see in another place that man said, if you can do anything, help us. And Christ says, it's not a matter if I can do anything, it's a matter of what you can believe. All things are possible to him that believes. So it's lack of faith of the, of the man that brought his son. Lack of faith of the disciples that are trying to cast the devil out. Many times lack of our faith, lack of faith in us is why we are not able to do most. That's what Christ said. He said, bring him to me. Verse 20. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, as when the, when the lunatic boy saw Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ saw the man, straightway the spirit tore him, or tear him, and he fell on the ground, and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, as Jesus Christ asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You can see the man was perplexed and fed up with all the situation. And he was asking Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, they are always say, I say in the last chapter, we talk about faith works by love. Compassion is love. And that man was actually asking for the Lord to show compassion on them and help them because of this situation that has tried their faith for years because this boy perhaps was not more a little boy we say it has been like that since he was a child maybe he was not a teenager who knows verse 23 jesus christ answered him he said have compassion on us and help us jesus christ said to him if thou can believe all things are possible to him that believe it that is the our dilemma christ said if you can believe all things are possible to him that believe it Many times we say all things are possible to God. But God is not saying all things are possible to him that believeth. And when we look at the life story of the Lord Jesus Christ, all through the preaching, every many of the time he's telling them, Your faith has made the oath. It is the faith of those who do well as drawing the anointing from him. The woman that was in chapter 6 or chapter 7, when we read chapter 6, the woman with the issue of blood, I say, If I can just touch the hem of his garment. Christ told the woman, your faith has made the oath. It is their faith that is they believe regularly and they are taking the steps to go and touch him. That is the faith that was making them oath. Say it is your faith that is doing that rather than the faith of the Messiah. 
I forgot to say I was the one person that is that they are drawing it from. And you say the other place where the woman that was said to be a, a Greek, a non-Jew one that will not take no for an answer. And Christ said, Well, let's the children be fed first. We can't give the children's bread and give it to dogs. And the woman said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs will eat the crumbs that's fed from the master's table. And Jesus Christ said, That's it. The devil is gone from you, from your, from your daughter. The faith of that woman draw the anointing. And that is what we should try to get together. Our faith today, we can say, Lord Jesus, touch me, Lord. I receive it. And with our faith, we draw the answer. And He said, Your faith has made you. And that's what we should all be shooting for. So that our faith, we draw it. Even when the Lord looks as if He's still not going to give to us, but He said, You can draw it by your faith. That's why He said, If thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. That was Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Now let's continue. Verse 24. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. That is, the man is completely prostrate over the years. His faith has been shaken. Now it's Christ telling you, if you can believe all things are possible to him, that say, I believe. No, I don't believe. I believe. Let's see, something is shaking if it is after you pray and pray and pray and pray. Look at nothing's happening. People almost give, begin to give up on faith. Say, help my unbelief, help my help, help my help my doubts, yeah, help my weakness. Yeah. So that's how, what the man was crying out to Jesus for. Help thou my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, they heard the man crying, so that made them begin to run to come and see what's going on over there. He rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee. Come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him so, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, in so much that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. The Lord is the Lord of all, and he is the authority. And he has given this authority to us. We just have to learn how to use it and not doubt him. Not doubt our relationship with him. Many times we are doubting our relationship with God when we are doubting our authority. But he has said we are in him. We are in Christ Jesus. We just have to believe that and exercise that authority and not shake in our mind. Not shake in our mind because they will try to make us shake in our mind because the devil is the one that will do what we say. But he's making us shake in our mind and make us think as if we're it's not to obey me. He said, no, you will obey. You will obey. You have to hang in there and stand firm. I said, the devil must obey. And if we don't shake in our mind, then the devil will have to give in. Because God is washing. God is washing. Whether the devil will obey God's instruction through the mouth of his sons. Because he, Jesus can say, he that honoreth me, honoreth my father that has sent me. He that honoreth not the son, honoreth not the father which has sent me. Which means, if Jesus Christ has sent us, and the devil refused to obey us, is disobeying Jesus. Also, that's what Christ meant when he said, He that honored not the Son, honored not the Father that sent him. So, if we are sons of God and God has sent us on this errand, saying that we have authority to command the devil and that nothing shall by any means hurt us, that's this word in the scriptures. If we are now commanding the devil in the name of the Lord and the devil refused to obey us, you know what he's doing? He's disobeying the Lord that sent us. And he knows he's, he knows that he's going to be punished for that. So he better not disobey. So if we, if we hang in there long enough to see whether we are going to change, change our mind. We are not going to change our mind when we have faith. We are going to stand firm saying this is the word of God. He must obey. Now let's continue in verse 20. 
6. Now look at that verse 25. Christ said, come out of him and enter no more into him. Many times, if people don't put that enter no more, the devil will go away and try to come back. Like the story that Jesus Christ gave of a devil that was cast out of a man. He went looking for other places. He, find. he came back to that house so that it was clean but empty. Clean but empty. But the devil went and got several more devils that are wicked, more wicked than him, and came and forced themselves inside that house. See, the last days of that man will be worse than the first. And he was using that to say that will be what will happen to the generation, because the generation that didn't accept him, see, something worse is coming to that generation. But now, that is the, also the same thing that happened in the individual. When we cast devils, I say, come out of him and enter no more. When you say enter no more, the devil will have to obey, enter no more. He can't go and come back and bring some more seven devils. So that's why God said, enter no more into him. And anyway, anytime we cast devil out, we must never forget to say, enter no more. Verse 26, the spirit left. Okay, let's go. We are now in verse uh, 28. And when he was coming to the house, as Jesus Christ coming to, his, to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And that is what you and I should be asking the Lord when we run into any situation that is tough and we couldn't handle it. And the apostles, the nine apostles that were there, Peter, James, and John, were not there. They came back with Jesus Christ. Even if they were there, most likely themselves would not be able to do anything because this is deeper than. And Jesus Christ was going to tell them the reason why they couldn't cast the devil right man. Verse 29. When they asked him, why could not we cast him out? The first thing Christ says is that, and he says, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, that is what Mark reported in verse 29 here. That by prayer and fasting. Now, that doesn't mean that it is when they see the devil that they should go and pray and fast. It is a lifestyle of praying and fasting that will build you up, that will build us up to the level that the Lord wants. So that when the situation occurs, we are fasting as crucified the flesh. And we are not going to shake in our mind. Because that's what the devil does to make people shake. Doubt whether they have the authority to do this. And that was what that was what this devil will be doing to the apostles that were there. That they don't have the authority to do this. And they themselves will be doubting because the devil is just screaming and yelling and rolling on the floor. They couldn't, doesn't seem to have obeyed. And then the devil will be whispering to their mind that you have no authority to do this. You don't have the power to do this. And they will be agreeing. When you agree with that thought, you are just giving in to the devil that is disobedient. So you see, when Christ said, fasting will crush that, that fear and doubt and unbelief and, and disobedience uh, and uh, agreeing with disobedience. That fasting is to crucify our flesh of the one that is fasting. Now Christ said that this is the, but in the other gospel, he said, it is your own belief that is causing that. He said, if you have a grain of mustard seed, you'll be able to say unto this one. We read that in the gospel of John, of the same story. Say, if you have a grain of mustard seed, you'll be able to say to this mountain, without removing without cancer seed. But in this place, it is, by prayer and fasting, we'll be able to undo this kind. So we need prayer and fasting to make our faith grow beyond the tiny little mustard seed that we need. Okay. So that is what insight the Lord is giving to us here. The fasting is essential to keep us tuned, trimmed in our soul, in our lives, in our, in our mind, in our faith. But start it. 
And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. And they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Now it was the Lord started talking about this crucifixion after the after the transfiguration. From the time he came down from the mountain of transfiguration, according to Mark, he started telling their disciples that the Son of Man will be killed for three days and then he will rise up again. But they couldn't understand what he meant. What do you mean by killed? Because they were not even thinking, they said the Messiah is not, it's not it's going to live forever and so on. So they couldn't understand what you mean by the Son of Man. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. They weren't afraid to ask him. Because it's like, gee, what are you saying? Killed? He's going to kill you. you see, they were just afraid to even ask him any further. They didn't understand what he meant by that. They say he writes this all day. So they, that does not seem to make any sense to them. What does he mean, rise this all day? Verse 33. And he came to Capernaum. And being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Now, these are the disciples, apostles that are following the 12 apostles. Maybe before the Lord Jesus came down from the mountain with Peter, Jesus, and John, these nine have been having issues with one another. When the man brought the, the lunatic boy. Because if they are wrestling with one another, let me handle you. No, let me handle you. No, uh, so they are going to be having a problem. And that's where they are beginning to talk behind the one another. Who, is, who should be in charge? Peter and Jesus and John is not here. That is who is the greatest kind of it. That's what they are. That's what they are disputing because the Lord guys, they were whispering to one another, and maybe they are having some question about it when they when they were trying to cast the devil out, and the devil is not obeying, and that is not natural human nature. Nine of you, and this one tried it. This one tried it. This one tried it. They say no. Let's try that. You do try that. They'll try. Everyone will try everything they know. They speak this word. Look like the devil does something bulge. So now look like well, let me handle this. You no. Know? And in the fact, you like, who is in charge here? That's what it means. They say, who is the greatest among us? So that becomes a, a bone of contention among them. So they were whispering to one another while they were going. And Christ could overhear that they are disputing something among themselves. So when they entered the side, he said, what is it that you guys are discussing among yourselves, by the way? But they held their peace because they know that they don't want him to know about this type of a debate of who is, the, who is the greatest among us here. So when they held their peace, verse 35 says, And he sat down, called the twelve, and said unto them, You knew what they were discussing, so he now wanted to straighten them out. If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Now if you look at that, you think he's saying, If you desire to be first, I'm going to demote you kind of a thing. But it's, it's actually not... That's not really how it was reported in another place. It's actually say anyone that is the servant will be the one that's actually the greatest. So that means we shall be humble. So that's it's teaching us that we have to be humble to serve. The one that is serving is actually the, the one that is in charge. And that is how Christ says, say, I am among you, I'm serving. When they are sitting on the table, he's the one cutting the bread and giving it to them, like the server on the table. 
Say that, and yes, I'm your Lord. But say the one that is serving is the one that is in charge. And I begin to picture that one that when you go to a restaurant, you are a client in the restaurant, and you sit down. How do you know who is in charge of this restaurant? The hostess, the waitress that come to you and say, Can I help you? is going to serve you. But that is the one in charge. Those are the waitresses. You might sit down and say, Nobody is serving me. Who is in charge here? Who is is it the waitress is the one in charge. So that means that waitress who looks like she's a servant, she's actually the, the one in charge. And she's the greatest. That's what Christ said that the one that is serving is actually should be, is the greatest. That's, uh, that's what you'll be, how we should be behaving in the, in the household of God. So that's how you want us to behave. If any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Verse 36. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So now he actually saying, even if I send a little child, don't look at his age and say, it's a little child, I should, he should be doing what I say. I'm, I'm, I'm so many years old, he's just a 13 year old. He said, if you receive that little child in my name, you are receiving me. That's humility. If you receive me, you are receiving my father as in. So what the Lord was teaching them here is humility. That you deny yourself. Oh no, I am 100 years old. I have seen all the wars, so I can teach you something. Listen to me. So he said, no, if you don't send a little child, this is a little child. Deny yourself of all these accolades and all your age that you think you give you wisdom. Listen to the child that God sent because in the ancient of days it's good you can talk to a child that you think I don't know anything about life. God can still talk to a child, teach you something you don't know that you that he wants you to know. So that's why the Lord is saying, if you receive this such a child in my name, you are receiving me. So he wants us, every believer, to be humble. Especially before one another, humble before one another. Verse 38. Now John answered him, that's your apostle John. The master, we saw one casting out devils in your name, and he followed not us. And we forbade him because he followed not us. Now that's that's a strange way that the that Apostle John brought that one in. That has been in their mind all along. Not that it's just it's happened that day. But something they have there with before before that day. He said this is not one of the it doesn't follow us means they could see those who always come to the meeting. They could see those who always come to the meeting. Maybe that man just came once and didn't come anymore. But he got something from what he, the little time he was there and he was trying to use it. But they run into him and say he was casting out devils through the name of Jesus using the name of Jesus. And he said, Well you are not even one of us. You don't even follow us when we go to the next city. They told him not to do that anymore. That's why they be forbidden. But Jesus said, Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. They don't, for, don't forbid him. If he's doing a miracle in my name, he won't be speaking evil of me. Verse 40. For he that is not against us is on our part. Now that is a very important phrase. He that is not against us is on our part. Then the corollary of that is also true. Because he said in another place, he that is not with us is against us. He said that to the Pharisees. If you, are not, if you are not with us, you are against us. If you don't gather with me, then you are scattering. 
That will be like the negative part of this one. Here he's saying either it's not against us, it's on our part. So you can say which side are you? If you are against him, you already know that you are not on his part. But in other places, either they are not with us, then they are against us. That is, they are not agreeing with him. The Pharisees actually, they are debating him or they are accusing of this, then they are not with him. Then they are against him. That's telling the Pharisees that but this one, this man is doing miracles in his name. He says, he's not against me. He's on my side. Verse 41. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. So that is very important that if we do, he said, do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That means if they are believers, please do good to them because you are doing it to Christ. And whatever you do to these little ones in my name that believe in me, you are doing it unto me. So that is very important that we all have to make sure we are helping one another in the church of the body of Christ because we are doing whatever we are doing to one another, we are doing it to Christ. So that also is a warning for those who claim to be believers and they try to do business among the believers. And their business is actually shrewd businesses trying to take advantage of the generosity or the trust that believers have for one another and yet they are defrauding like people say well let me help you invest this your money and because they say they have a, a, a business that is investing money in stock market for people but when they're collecting the money from believers trust them that oh his brother so 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 he will be faithful with the money he's helping us to invest and if that brother so is not investing and just eating it up like we have many have been accused of that defrauding they invest half of it and use the rest just for enjoying themselves until something happens and they couldn't pay back. You see, they are defrauding believers, they are defrauding the Lord. Whatever you do to one of these little ones, you are doing it unto the Lord, it's what Christ said. So that is why we also have to be careful when we are dealing with one another, even in business, and you are taking advantage of the trust that the brethren have for, for one another. Or the be or the or the confidence we have that is a brother is he should be faithful because he's a believer, he should be somebody that is righteous. But and that's why they trust believers. But if the fellow is not trustworthy, then he's not just doing it to the believer, he's doing it to the Lord who is their, who is their father. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Now, verse 42 said, Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me. It is better for him that a millstone were hung about his neck and he were cast into the sea. So that is the seriousness of the fact that you don't want to hurt, offend, or take advantage of believers in Christ just because they trusted you because they think you are also a believer. But if you are doing some fraudulent things and you are shitting your own brethren, you are in danger because you are doing it to the Lord. Verse 14 says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where they are warm, dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. You will see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that preached hell fire most. In fact, before the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody was preaching hell fire. Maybe it was mentioned in the book of Psalms. But when Christ came, he was pointing out that there is hell and there is fire in hell that people don't want to go there. So it was the Lord Jesus Christ preached. Here is an example here. 
Talk about even your hand offend you, cut it out. It's better for you to enter life with one hand cut off than to go with two hands to hell into fire that will never be quenched. But 45 says, and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter life off, hot into life, than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. So there is fiery hell. If anyone is listening as not a believer, you better repent and come to Christ so that you can be saved from hell. The Lord Jesus Christ preached that there is fiery hell. Somebody came to me when I was in college, one of my co-colleagues, and I've talked to him about, about giving himself to Christ before. And he came to me and said, Julius, I'm glad. I said, what happened? He said, they told him there's no hell. I said, who said that? He said, the Jehovah Witness. I said, they are deceiving you. Don't believe them. The Bible talk about hell. The Bible talk, Jesus Christ preached it. So don't be deceived that there's no hell. So that you want to keep doing whatever you want to do, not following, not following God, not fearing God. Fear God and repent from sin and come to Christ to be saved. There is hell for those who refuse Christ. Verse 47. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ preached hellfire for people to be to shun it. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire. Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltness, where which will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. So that is the end of Mark chapter 9. Say, have salt in yourself, have peace one with another. But let us shun hell and seek for heaven. God bless you. We continue this in chapter 10.